Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I am Stephen Diamond and I'm here with Ryan. What's up? Hello. Uh, it's just us today. What's up with that? Yeah, it was pretty nice to have uh, Ross with us last week. I, you know, nice. he's, he's a little difficult to schedule with and uh, <laughs> we can probably slip this by him because he's not going to listen to the podcast anyway. He's on the California time. Every time we want to chat with him, it's like the sun's still up. He wants to go mountain biking or be outside enjoying life in the nice, you know, warm, sunny weather of California. Whereas blame him versus us dealing with the cold, you know? You, well, you, hey, you were recently in some warm, sunny weather. I did get a break from this kind of mild, dreary winter in the northeast, uh, waiting for spring to really come through. And I dropped down to Florida uh, for my cousin's wedding. So it was a family affair uh, down to Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter. Bougie. <laughs> How was the car spotting? Uh, the car scene is, uh, especially where I was, which is, uh, it was a complex called Admiral's Cove, which is kind of known to be, um, I asked some friends who are locals there, um, what they think of Admiral's Cove and what's the general stipulation of it. And the general stipulation is people with money, um, very wealthy <laughs> and, uh, people who are pretty private about their lives and this and that. It's a huge gated community with all these vast roads and amazing houses, some gaudy as hell, um, as you can imagine. But a lot of them, they're all aligned on these channels where boats can go down. You could dock your boat right outside your house, this and that. And I'd been actually the prior for my friend's wedding who were locals there. Um, and my cousins, uh, they actually have a condo in Admiral's Cove uh, and we were staying there and uh got a view from the water of all the houses and it's it, it is incredible um but uh and a funny tidbit uh, talking about the security so we took an uber to get there from palm beach and uh <laughs> the uber driver was a very uh kind of guido kind of um you know, italian kind of maybe hispanic um he had a gold chain, you know, and, and glasses that were very like fake Gucci-esque, um, if you can imagine. Uh, and we, we got that it was a big Ford Expedition for all our luggage. Um, and we're driving. It's like a 20, 30 minute ride from the airport there. It's a gate that you have to go through. We're obviously staying there. So we have to give them our information. They actually take the driver's license, even though he's popping in for 30 seconds to drop us off. They get his license. They're so strict with the security in Florida. I get a laugh out of that. Are they having a lot of issues? I mean, maybe. Maybe there's a lot of important people there or they think they're important. Something <laughs> like that. Um, so we're in there. He's, there's a few stop signs. It's The road is lined by a you know, golf course, kind of parallels it. And I do remember thinking to myself, is he going to stop for these stop signs? Some of them come up very suddenly and they aren't expected where you would expect them. And I kind of look around and, and next thing I know, he's coming up and there's a, a police officer, a security officer in a car ahead of him. And the guy is standing outside and he waves him down and tells him to pull over. And apparently, like 20 seconds ago, he California rolled through a stop sign and they stopped him for it. <laughs> and 
did they, they give him a ticket? They said no. The first time's a warning. Second time is like a ticket, and then you'll be banned from the property for a certain period of time. Can't come into Admiral's Cove. No. Can't have it with all these fragile, important human beings walk, walking around and are more realistically driving around on their golf carts. Um, Where was the wedding? At the club? It was actually at Admiral's Cove. Yeah, it was a lovely, lovely setting. Um, big yachts. Actually, the uh, owner of, the founder of like Barrett Jackson Auctions has, uh, I think, a property there and he had his big yacht and it was docked right out front there. Uh, and the name of the boat is called Driven. So. Oh, very nice. Not only a car man. Yeah, but a boat man. But a boat man. Um, so I would imagine in that neighborhood, you probably saw some interesting vehicles. Yeah, it was your typical array of uninteresting colors, mostly white um, mm. of color cars. Um, and a good array of Lexus for, you know, the old and, and kind of under the radar. Um, but we had a lot of cool high exotic luxury cars that kind of lined the uh, the valet pull-up driveway area. Um, so I saw like Bentegas, Bentley Bentegas, uh, a lot of big S-classes, S560s, 7 Series. Um, Let's see, at one point I walked out and there was uh, a V8 Vantage, there was an SLS AMG Roadster, there was a brand new Bentley Continental, um, and there was actually one car that stood out far among the rest, was an old G-body Porsche in this, uh, I forget the, the name of the color green, um, but it's kind of a, a very lime green color. Um, I wish I remembered. I think we were talking about it there. Um, but it's just a gorgeous spec, very clean. Uh, it was a Florida car, um, and it was actually set to Euro height. So it was a little bit lower, but not obscenely lower. And uh, the funny thing is, at one point, we saw the owner of the car get in it. And uh, it was him and presumably his son. And there were two rather large gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest um so uh not the not the type of people i was expecting to get in it but it is florida so um but it's a gorgeous car and, and my aunt uh, says she sees it there all the time she always thinks of me and my brother uh, every time she sees it so it was cool to to see that in person and it was hanging out out front a lot was it a like a green apple type yes, of uh like, like a granny smith apple almost looking yeah it's called Daphne Grün. Huh? <laughs> I wonder if uh, that's a PTS option now. I do, it probably is a PTS <laughs> option. I just looked it up. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I What do you think about sports cars in Florida? I have a, I sort of am conflicted about it a little bit. So you talked about a lot of the exotic vehicles that you saw there were very much grand tours you know luxury vehicles with some level of sporting intentions and just a bit more character than your everyday vehicle but some things that are maybe more ostensibly sports cars i wonder how well suited they are to the general lack of corners and <laughs> flat straight roads I, I mean it's true like that's very florida right stop signs traffic lights big flat straight roads um 
I could see how something like that G-Body 911 is just an experience to be in it. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what the road's like. It's just kind of you get in that and I'm I'm in a classic. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Would you want a new 911 there? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it would certainly do well, but I think it would be underutilized. Um, I could say this is America and Florida is the center of America. And why do you need corners? But being... <laughs> educated and rational people um you know there's obviously something to be missed there um you know it, it, everything is it's more for an appearance i i feel like when you're down there obviously there must be places you go find a racetrack and and, and use it on there um but uh, there's something to be said about the weather and how you can enjoy your sports car even though you're not maybe driving on as interesting roads as we have up here in the northeast but you're able to enjoy it uh, for more of the year um, which there is something to be said for that convertibles probably just make a lot more sense because even if you're not going so fast or ripping around a corner just the experience of hearing the sound of a nice engine and having the top down you know 90 percent of the year could go a long way yeah I mean, I would say um, I was actually shocked at how few 911s I did see while I was there. In general, or you mean modern or old? In general, um, of you know, 911s. There definitely were some Cayennes and, and things like that, but and Panameras, but uh, not a few 911s. And maybe just I didn't walk around and see them in their in their garages, or maybe it's too early in the season, or you know, I don't know. Um, but I was surprised to not have seen more. And it was kind of, like you said, more around the luxury sedan GT kind of cruiser cars that really stood out as being the big winner. I would think that that AMG SLS is a wonderful car for Florida. You get all of the sound, all of the luxury and comfort of Mercedes. I mean, and it was the right too. Right. If I had a lot of change sitting around, I could see going for something like that for, for Florida. I don't know if I would live in florida though not sure would you yeah i don't think it is uh for me i can't stand the humidity so it's certainly not a place i would want to be in the summer right and that that little community that you talked about i just looked at it on the map it's on those you know intercoastal coves right and those coves you know they get very buggy and and so humid in the night and it's it's very pretty and everything, but that that can be a little frustrating to deal with. I I find that unless you have the strong ocean breeze to sort of kick all of that junk away, it could be a little tough. Right. No, exactly. It is its own little paradise or, or kind of complex that's very separated, I, I feel like, from the rest of the world. When I was there, I felt like I'm at camp or something, you know, where You're every resort, a destination. Yeah, everything's pretty much taking care of you. It's it's its own little bubble. <laughs> There's something to be said for that. Anyway, no, it's very pleasant. It was it yeah. was nice to just not have to think and and relax and enjoy the sun and the warmth. Um, amazing how it could be 48 degrees here and 84 degrees there. Um, you know, northeast versus Florida. Um, and it does make me question why we deal with these harsh uh, winters up here. This one was a little more taxing on me than the rest because we didn't get any snow. And to deal with the cold yeah. with rain instead of snow is kind of unpleasant, right? 
Yeah, everyone I talked to, even though it wasn't a brutally cold winter, agrees that it was a, still a very dreary and hard winter to get through. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm so excited that it's getting nicer out. You know, we we've had out um, Karen's Miata a few times with the top down recently, and today it's it's sunny out long enough and and nice out that I'm going out mountain biking. So, which is which is a big change, but. I do recall while you were down there, you sent us a picture of an adventuring green 992. So that yeah. was another one of the 911s that you saw of the very. It was like one of two 911s that I saw, and they were both green. But yeah, it was adventuring, and it it looked uh, very enticing, very uh, charming from far away. And you get up closer, and I would say it gets even better. Um, I forget which color wheels did you decide on? I decided on the satin platinum. So I went away from the straight black and it's sort of more uh, a, a, a satin gray. Right. I, I think say. that's a good call for, for that combination. Okay. Interesting. What were the wheels on this uh, 992? I believe they're just the plain silver. Okay. Um, and it made it stick out a little bit more. I think the, the softness of the, the gray and more of a matte finish will be a nice uh, balance to the to the green. Yeah, I, I thought about it at length and I, I was actually really dead set on the black and my father talked me into the, the satin platinum and I think he was right. So I, I'm very excited to see it. I actually got the news this week that my car is scheduled for production next week. So uh, really excited about that. Um, somehow my delivery date seems to have gotten pushed by four days, but uh We'll see how that works out. I'll, I'll forgive them as long as it comes in May, you know, uh, and uh, I, I can't wait to see the car. And, you know, knowing that the delivery date is scheduled or the, the production date is scheduled, though, is pretty exciting because uh, I recently saw that when they are producing the cars, they share pictures of your car on the production line. And that will be pretty neat. Has oh, has Jay got any pictures of his car? So I I asked him about that because I also heard on Spike uh, Spike's car radio they talked about that and they were wondering if it's actually their cars or if they're taking the picture of the the same car and sending it to all these people and they're just schmucks thinking they're it's their own car but it's really not. Yeah, that's where I heard it as well. Yeah, um, but I asked my dad and actually his car is very like it's not really confirmed um, because they did apparently close PTS for this calendar year. Um, so his allocation might be for next year if he wants to really hold out for PTS. Um, so yeah, he's not close to, to getting pictures of his car. Well, the good news is he still has time to change his mind about that bad decision on PDK. Uh, well, <laughs> I made more bad decision on choosing Irish green. Actually, just before this call, my brother sent me a picture of a a Tycon in a, in a different green color. And he goes, how about this for dad's color? And I go much better. Anything other than that Irish green. It's just a little too harsh. The Irish green. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting these days how green has become so much in vogue. I've Mm. always loved green. In fact, it's actually my favorite color since I was a child. It's my favorite color too. Oh, I didn't know that. That's I even have a green cell phone. Yeah, you do have the green phone. Uh, <laughs> I liked that when you got it, and I do as well. I have a different green than you, though. Oh, that is a nice green, too. Yeah, this is almost like a venturing. Oh, this is maybe closer to Irish green, actually. 
a little bit a little bit softer, a bit more gray than the Irish screen. But let's not make this a podcast about color tonalities. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I feel that more cars are showing up today in green than ever before, whether it's just a regular car to trucks to exotic sports cars, so on and so forth. You know, I actually was just in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago and uh, I rented again on Turo. Nice. What do you think about sponsoring us, Turo? Again, we mentioned you. Look at this free advertising we're giving you. Yeah, for all of our large volume of listeners. That's right. <laughs> um, I rented a brand new Bronco, uh, just the base two-door Bronco on Turo. And it's in this, you know, rather interesting and and bright or bold green for, you know, ostensibly a base, normal, relatively inexpensive vehicle. And I'm really happy that they're doing that, though, because it made this Bronco stand out in a way, gave it some charm that it wouldn't. If it were just white, black, silver, you know, they'd look a little bland. Certainly, uh, you know, some of the more uh, upscale models, you know, like the the Wild Track or or so forth, with the extra cladding, bigger tires, wheels, I, those would probably look good in any color, right? But the green made a big difference on the base car with just steel wheels and, you know, pretty thin tires and, you know, no, it didn't even have running boards, hmm. but it, it sort of had this very utilitarian, utilitarian, like park truck type look. And I like that. And somehow the green, you know, fit with wildlife. And I, I was driving it around um, Pinehurst, North Carolina, which if you haven't been is a really gorgeous part of North Carolina. I'm, becoming such a fan of that state, you know, really diverse landscapes from the big mountains to the ocean. And Pinehurst maybe has truly more pine trees than I've ever seen in my life. They're just everywhere. And it's actually really, what's up? That's the name. Yeah, that's the name. Uh, (laughs) Famous destination for golfing, of course. Uh, I didn't go for golfing, but uh, it was, it was a pleasure to be there. And this little Bronco was just about the perfect car for bopping around Pinehurst. All these little slight hilly roads, you know, pretty tight corners, very um, much closer to European feeling than what you would expect mm-hmm. from something in the Carolinas. Uh, and uh, I had a blast in this Bronco, Stephen. Yeah, really. I mean, I can I can imagine the charm of it in that base form and that green you, know, you mentioned kind of very park like, you know, like the Ranger. It's the, the car the Ranger drives around the national yeah. kind of a thing, checking to make sure you aren't starting forest fires or whatnot. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what it looked like. Yes. <laughs> so that, that could be pretty charming, especially if you're driving around what is a forest, essentially, you know. It looked good with the backdrop, and there were a lot of old homes and buildings in the area. So the the Bronco and green against those older buildings with sort of more uh, patinaed finishes and the the gray green of the pine trees in the background. It, it all had a had a really nice mix. You could say that the green erupted from the background of the of its of its surroundings. That was a nice try, but I don't think so. It's I believe that the green of the Bronco is called eruption green, right? But it was it wasn't doing so much erupting, was it? 
No, it's a terrible <laughs> name. In fact, that's the worst thing about the color. <laughs> you have to tell people every time they ask you, oh, that's a nice green. What is it called? Eruption green. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it, when I hear that, it makes me think of, you know, vomit for whatever reason. I was reason. just going to, I was thinking that. Like, <laughs> obviously, it didn't look bad enough that it made you want to vomit. But it sounds like it when you think of eruption green. Right. Yeah, yeah, baby puke. It, but it, no, it didn't look like that. You know, this thing, though, I have to say, if I could characterize this Bronco, it reminded me a lot of um, I drove in the past the Focus ST. And if you remember, it might be one of the last, not the last, but I believe I wrote an article about this on uh, on the website, you know, some years ago, comparing it to the GTI and the WRX and other things. And I thought the Focus ST had this really playful turbo four engine. And, and I don't know how related they are probably pretty similar you know you can't imagine that ford totally redesigned it similar to like the volkswagen group but the engine was so playful for this truck i mean you heard all kinds of turbo noise and it when it got on boost it slapped dude it was like this thing had giddy up you could absolutely spin the rear tires with no no problem and it was playful i don't know if all of them would feel like this but on the street tires with the small wheels and the two-door, it felt playful, sort of like as if it were a jacked up focus, mm. you know, and and I had it, but it was rear-wheel drive, right? So I had it in, in two-wheel drive the whole time. And so it had this sort of enjoyable rally car-like nature about it when I was bopping around these little roads. And I noticed that I kept driving faster and faster and <laughs> pushing it around corners that you wouldn't expect for an SUV. And I thought that was very unique and and way different than something like a Wrangler or a Gladiator, which feel very, um, I don't know, I, I, agricultural comparatively. You know, they don't entice you to go fast. That's one of your favorite words, isn't it? Agricultural. I think you throw it in every podcast at least once. Now I have to talk about the M2 again. Not <laughs> <laughs> in the M2, apparently. That's right. But that's surprising to hear. I wouldn't have guessed that from the outside that it felt pretty sprightly and almost, I mean, like a, a an S Focus ST, you know, jacked up. Um, but I imagine that's that's probably pretty fun. Was it confidence inspiring or communicative enough for you in the corners where you felt like you had control of it? Or was it a little discombobulated, like I imagine maybe some of its competitors might feel? It was actually very confidence-inspiring in the corners, but obviously to a limit, right? So you're bopping about with it, but I wasn't really leaning on the front end or something like that, right? You know, I was I was still conservative, but maybe that was part of the fun. I didn't feel that I needed to to go so fast right. and, and have, but still be able to have fun, you know, because you have that body roll to sort of give you the sensation of of higher speeds, g forces, and whatnot. Yeah, it's like you're making it sound like almost like the Miata of the uh, the trucks. Yeah, except it, it definitely more exaggerated on the pitch, <laughs> yaw and roll and so forth. Yeah, for sure. But but no, that's a fair point. Yeah, it, certainly it, it definitely felt faster than the Miata. I, actually, I'm sure it was faster than the Miata. It, it's yeah. hmm. it's fast. Like they must be limiting the torque in first and second gear, but when you floor it in third gear it really has like a lot of torque and pull and the way that they calibrated the turbo 
is that it comes in with a big sort of old school punch. It reminds me actually a lot of the character of the Vigan, which we were just talking about. And we always uh, went on and on over the years about how that character, even though the car was really flawed and it's cornering and, you know, other things, the big punch that that turbo engine gave always made it, you know, a total hoot to drive. Absolutely. I'm looking at the stats of the uh, inline four and it's uh, 300 horsepower and 300 25 foot pounds of torque so Which definitely no yeah from a from a four cylinder so it's uh i wonder i i certainly think this would be the engine to have for the two wheel for the two door excuse me um two door car and especially the base i can't imagine you get the same feeling coming from the v6 i feel like that might feel a bit heavy um and kind of ruin that sprightly experience that you seem to have I think you're totally right. <clears throat> and actually, you can't get the V6 with a stick. Ah, there you go. So you obviously wouldn't choose the V6 at all. No, I wouldn't. But what was interesting to me as I was driving it and reflecting on the reviews that I had listened to or, or read over the years, you know, I'm a little bit late to the Bronco game. I think everybody was on this a, a year or two ago, um, was that most said that the four-cylinder was underpowered and you really needed the V6 for it. And I'm sort of shocked to to hear that because it was, as I said, it was it, it genuinely felt fast. But I don't know, maybe I have a different um, expectation level of cars in the class of the Bronco. I'm not expecting them to perform at the same level as regular cars. And maybe reviewers sort of are putting them on an even playing field. It's interesting. And, and how was the gearing in the car? Was it very tall? It first gear um, was was all right. It was a little bit tall still, but they do have. It's actually a seven seven forward speeds on the manual, and the the seventh gear, which is you don't really use in in normal driving. It's one through six, but then there's a C, a crawling gear. Oh no. And so I was on a few very steep hills, and given that it doesn't have a, a regular handbrake and I had, wasn't too comfortable with the clutch yet, I said, why don't I just try this crawl gear and see what it's like, and then I won't have to worry about my hill start. And the crawl gear was wonderful. I mean, you could, on steep hills, you could just let off the clutch, and it, and it would go right ahead. <clears throat> and then you could go right from crawl to second and sort of <laughs> use it in, in, in regular driving in that way. So that was a, a neat little feature. My Gladiator, for example, the first gear is always like the crawl gear of that, uh, that you know, four miles per hour and it's yeah. to change gear. Yes. <laughs> so much a joke. Yeah, it is. Driving but, the Gladiator, do you ever just start it in second? No, it doesn't have enough power for that. You always have to start in first. So it's it's sort of like an annoying in-between. And, and this Bronco for me had better gearing in that sense. Um, and, you know, six gear was also nice and, and long for the highway. So you were at pretty low RPMs while cruising. I, I had a few complaints about this Bronco there. Okay. I've been talking about these thermostat style gauges, and that's what they decided to go with in this Bronco for the rev counter. So the, the, the um, speedometer is, is analog, actually, and it's a, a nice, you know, standard Ford gauge, but it looks great. But then they didn't put a tachometer, tachometer, and there's just this weird 
square digital part of the gauge cluster that has a very low resolution, by the way. Like, I can't believe that they decided that was the screen to use on this vehicle. And and the, the tachometer is a very small thermometer style gauge, which you can't really see. And it's it's a little awkward to use, especially when you're trying to drive this car in a sporty manner. So to know when you're at red line, you almost have to peg your eyes on the gauge. Mm. When you're not driving it like a total ass, it doesn't matter because it's not it's the type of car where you can hear the engine and you never have to really look at the at the rev counter. But I, I, I thought that was a miss. That's strange. Do you uh, recall what the red line on the car is? Well, it was so difficult to see. I'm not exactly sure, but I guess that it was around 6,000 RPM. Okay. wasn't very high, but it, it seemed to be sufficient. And the engine was happy to operate at that range. Although most of the fun to be had was from like, let's say 2300 to 5000 RPMs. And you could just shift in that range and get all of the big, you know, mid range torque from that, that big turbo. I'm sure the power falls off pretty quickly after 5000 RPM wasn't wasn't cut it didn't have one of those big fall-offs but it certainly wasn't coming on quite as strongly right well it sounds like it's a it's a fun car were there other things you didn't like about it besides the uh the style of gauges well you were telling me actually you had some experience with the bronco uh because you dated somebody who worked on you know something to do with the design what what did she do your 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 ex well, I, I went on one date with this this girl, <laughs> and uh, we had a nice conversation. But uh, yeah, it turned out she was she was definitely into boats. Her family was a boating kind of family. But we got into the topic of cars, and and she just tried. She just you know came out and was like, "Yeah, I worked for Ford, and I uh, worked on the development of the Bronco." Uh, and she was involved in kind of deciding or trying to uh, solve the problem of not making the removable panels too heavy so that all users can realistically remove them themselves. So both men, women, you know, different ages, things like that um, could, could actually use that function of the car and not be you're burdened by that um, or have to ask a, a dealer or a shop to do something like that. So she um, prioritized weight over all else. Right. Well, it, it really comes to show because the hardtop on this Bronco is the worst sound insulated hardtop I've ever experienced in my life. We're, so I have a real bone to pick with this lady because it it's so bad you can't even imagine that it's obviously a solid unit, right? They, they, I don't know, they made it so light or they re reduced sound deadening to such a level that you can actually hear the wind flying in between the seam of the front panels and the main rear panel of the hardtop. And it's not just a little bit. It is to a level that is completely egregious. And you essentially don't have a comfortable volume level inside the vehicle if you're going above 65 which is a shame because the Bronco has an independent front suspension. And so on the highway, it drives honestly 
very nicely at 90 or 100 miles an hour, more so than you would ever expect. In fact, I could say that when I was in Mexico, I got up to the speed of 107 miles an hour where you found the the governor, the limited top speed of the Bronco, but you could happily hang out there all day. That's if fascinating. not for these lightweight panels that your <laughs> ex-girlfriend designed. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I still have her number and I'll, I'll shoot her a text. Yeah, shoot her a message about that. See what she says. Well, you're coming from a now spoiled place where you have insulated your Wrangler top. Um, but previously, you were pretty disappointed by the insulation and sound deadening of your top um, on your Gladiator. Oh, absolutely. The Gladiator's hard top before it didn't any insulation felt really subpar, especially for what it cost. But if you can imagine, this was maybe twice as bad as the Gladiator's hardtop before I put the insulation. Wow. And so you, when I came back and drove my Gladiator after being in this, I couldn't believe how quiet it was on the highway. Certainly with my big tires that are useless for me, honestly, mm -hmm. and the lift kit and everything, there was more road noise than in the Bronco because, you know, regular car tires are just very quiet comparatively. Mm -hmm. But the wit that's kind of more like a background noise, right? It's kind of like a white noise, mm -hmm. but the wind is like, you could almost feel it whistling in your ear. It's it's atrocious. I guess the solution is drive it with the tops off. Well, that's one solution. And I actually did a little bit of research because after driving this car, I liked it so much, I was contemplating buying one that I, uh, I did some research into what people do about this. Mm. And they actually have all kinds of threads where people have DIYs on like the 15 step program to reduce the, you know, wind noise inside your Bronco. And they do, you know, not crazy stuff, but type of stuff similar to my level of frustration with the Gladiator that they didn't just go ahead and do it from the factory, like filling in some areas with some sound deadening foam and adding a few different spongy materials to better seal the hardtop when it closes and, you know, things that if Ford spent, I don't know, an extra five pounds or an extra five dollars on per vehicle, they, they would have easily been able to refine. And I wonder who in these companies sort of has the final sign off on this and, and would decide that that's OK. It's a little yeah. shocking. And I, I don't know if you saw the, the press on these, but they did have a lot of trouble in general with this hardtop. I don't know if this issue was the biggest problem that they had, but there was a lot of automotive news about the hardtops getting delayed and, you know, the Broncos sitting there not being able to be delivered due to hardtop issues. So perhaps they were fighting so many battles with the hardtops. This was one that they were willing to lose. That's uh, That's a shame to hear. I mean, obviously, I feel like uh, you have some level of expectation going in, into any of these kind of removable top cars that you're going to get some level of road and wind noise. But uh, to hear that it's uh, an unbearable amount uh, that it ruins the experience is uh, is a shame, I guess. You know, maybe they were designed to be just for the park ranger who's uh, dri driving around at five, 10 miles per hour in the in the park, you know. Well, or, you know, what you can do, and we did do, was we took off the, uh, the I don't know what they're called in the Bronco, but the, the equivalent to Jeep's Freedom Panels. Okay. And then... Such uh, a Jeep name. I know. that is, It's almost embarrassing to say. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we tried taking those off and driving around and the buffeting was unbearable. So what we did was we actually popped the glass on the hatch, just left the glass on the hatch, lifted up. The air passed right through and it was lovely to drive the Bronco around like that, especially, you know, at the speeds that I was doing around Pinehurst, 40, 50 miles an hour. It was just great. And, uh, you know, really a fun, fun vehicle. Other than um, that little nice story about your ex, have you had any experience with a Bronco yourself? I haven't driven one, um, but I've only briefly sat in one. I do believe was a wild track edition, so um, had all the options and, and features and things like that. Uh, and I wouldn't say I was the most comfortable in it, honestly. It felt a little jarring to get into and not quite what I was expecting. The windshield felt very short and small, like you have a, a, a very narrow window to, to kind of look through and, and see around you. And uh, to me, it didn't feel very open. And, and like a pleasant place where you'd want to drive the car for four hours on the highway and go on a, a cruise with it. I had the exact same reaction when I first got in it. But interestingly enough, as I spent a bit more time with it, I got very comfortable. And I noticed that it actually was a lot more spacious than my Gladiator. A lot more uh, room from a width perspective as well as from a height perspective with the hardtop on, I actually can't believe how much more room. Well, I guess I can, given the wind noise. <laughs> it, it, it's it, actually quite spacious, but you sit very low in it in comparison to something like the Gladiator, and the the whole dashboard assembly feels massive and so high up, and so you don't have this typical SUV feeling of being above it, looking down and being able to very easily locate the corners of the vehicle. It feels kind of more puffed up and bigger than you might expect, even in that little two-door version. Mm. Yeah, I think the version I sat in was was the four-door. Um, so obviously it felt a little bit bigger and that there was a lot more car behind you. Um, but I think I would probably prefer the two-door and, and uh you know interesting to hear that it also feels a bit big even though it's you know just a two-door as well the back seat was actually enormous we couldn't believe how comfortable it was to be in the back seat of it you would think it's sort of this squished in you know really compromised thing seat a throwaway seat kind of thing but not at all it was very comfortable uh karen was in there for a while actually we put my mom up front on the drive from uh, raleigh which was over an hour, and she her only complaint was that there's no armrest, so you're sort of you're a little awkward in that sense, which is the same in the Gladiator and and many vehicles of this class. Um, but just the fact that you have that much space in a two door, I think, is really interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've been in the back of a two door Wrangler, but that is a really compromised rear seat. It is, yes. No, I ha- I have been, and that's more or less what I was expecting. Me too. Uh, there to be that's nice to hear well obviously you're thinking about you seem so enamored by your experience with it and you were even considering getting one maybe even dare i say replacing the gladiator but it seems like you've come down from that um what were your ultimate you know conclusions on why you like the gladiator better and and uh yeah i would love to hear your thoughts on 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 that now that you've 
stepped away from the Bronco and, and had some time back in your Gladiator? There are a couple of issues with the Bronco today, and I think first and foremost is the price. So base Bronco at $35,000 is a lot of car for the money. Mm. I, I, I'm really impressed with that level of performance, the level of quality, it didn't have any rattles, you know, it felt very They're solid. It was good as you uh, being someone who claimed that Ford had shitty interiors and in a few episodes ago. It, that was really interesting to me, actually. It was such a step up in quality versus other, for, you know, I haven't been in maybe more luxurious Fords recently, but versus other more basic Fords like the Bronco Sport, for example. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, the difference was tremendous. E even the way that the the uh, turn signal stock felt, you know, it was really a huge difference. The, my biggest complaint with the base car is that the steering wheel and shift knob are in a really cheap feeling plastic. Mm. So I was thinking about it. And if I were to get one, I think I'd still get the base car because it's just so much value for the money. But I'd probably, for the first time in my life, go aftermarket and wrap the steering wheel and shift knob in leather just to not feel so cheap in that sense, right? Right. Um, the one area where it did feel a bit cheap, other than that issue with the hardtop, which I think is fixable. And at some level, I could overlook it because I did do a lot of work on my own Gladiator, you know, for yeah. example. It, it took a lot of effort. And, you know, you saw it with your own with your own uh with your own eyes you you helped me put put it all back together and it didn't make it that much more heavy uh i would say no yeah that, it wasn't so bad it, it was still very very manageable right. um even two broken men with broken shoulders <laughs> could lift it up and put it on but uh the, the only other thing that was a bit of a dig for me on quality and getting back to the jeep i felt the difference were, were the doors so they're not they're frameless doors on the Bronco and the way that the window comes in and sort of, um, you know, goes up into the hard top. It's almost like they didn't time the window movement exactly right. So if you open, if you pull the door latch immediately as you're opening the door, you can almost feel the window flexing before it drops and lets you open the door. And so, as I get used to it, I just was a little bit more slow about the way I opened the door and I didn't have that problem, but it's just not a hundred percent. Right. So there right. was a little bit of that Ford cheapness in there, but th this was honestly for Ford, this is probably one of the best products that they've made in years. I, I was really impressed with the quality through and through. Yeah. I mean, they took a lot of time to develop it and work on it. So I uh, would hope that all in all, it came through as a very positive experience. Yeah. And well, I think that people are uh, attesting to that, you know, so what I was going to say about the price, although the base car for 35 grand is a great deal, you know what they're selling for today? You mean secondhand? New secondhand, either way. What do you think? Base, base two-door Bronco, 35 grand, what's it go for? 45? 45 grand. And so that's where it gets a little bit confusing, mm -hmm. you know, does it really make sense to pay 10 grand over sticker for a new one if you can find it? Or let's say nine grand over sticker for a used one. Hmm. It just is a little bit unpalatable for me. Um, and so I actually went to a dealer here who had one 
um, used with like 4,000 miles. So it was pretty much like new. And, and I, uh, I brought in my gladiator and I said, Hey, what will you give me on the gladiator? You know, and my gladiator's Rubicon. It's a higher spec. It's actually should be worth a lot more than the, than that Bronco of 35 grand new. And, you know, they're like, Oh, well, we'll cut you a check for 50, 50 bucks. So they were valuing that the Bronco close to, you know, 45 grand, mm-hmm. which is essentially what my gladiator is worth used now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just, that sort of immediately killed my desire to get one just because I, I, I couldn't really make that, that work in my mind. And then after spending some more time with my gladiator, I've kind of grown to appreciate how nice it is to drive at slow speeds and how because it's a bit more substantial and trucky in a way you're not i don't have the desire to rip it around like i did with that bronco and i've got enough desire to rip cars around there's actually something good for me in my life to have something that's enjoyable to drive slowly and i get a a joy out of just shifting the gears and, and doing that all smoothly and the inputs on the Gladiator are wonderful, honestly. I, I really like them. I love how smooth everything comes together, and um, I think it makes a lot of sense. The only thing that I will admit after putting some more miles on my Gladiator uh, after I got out of that Bronco is I do wish that it had the straight-line highway stability that mm-hmm. the independent front suspension gives Bronco. It's amazing the difference of independent front suspension versus a solid axle in the way the car wanders on the road. And the Gladiator is not difficult to drive on the highway. You know, I tend to just drive maybe a touch slower. I'll put the cruise control on 75 and, you know, I just, you know, touch that delicate steering wheel. It's very, very light steering. Um, but it doesn't sort of track just 100% straight as that Bronco did. So I, I would enjoy that. I feel like that is a very typical Wrangler experience, though. Um, I, I, you know, growing up in Connecticut, a lot of people had them. It's a very popular summer choice of car, as I'm sure it was in New Jersey when you were growing up too. And uh, there's there was always a few in my neighborhood, and uh, one of my neighbors, who's a, more of a, a Porsche guy himself too. Um, kind of behind the neighbor's back to us talks about how shitty the Wrangler is. He had a ride in, in one of them and called it a death trap. And he said he would never want to drive that thing on the highway ever again. Well, it's true. I mean, when you look at the suspension design, it's incredibly antiquated. And the Gladiator is definitely better than the Wrangler because it's this really long wheelbase comparatively. Sure. So it has an inherent stability from that perspective. But it's nowhere near the level of sophistication of a vehicle with independent front suspension. And you can't you can't argue that. It's just a fact. Um, but I, when you get used to it, you know how to deal with it, right? And so trade-offs for everything. I think at the end of the day, the level of value I get out of my Gladiator, using it today, mountain biking, there's something to be said about a pickup. Mm-hmm. Makes me wonder, actually, if Ford would consider doing some type of pickup variant of the Bronco. Maybe not because they have such a big pickup truck presence already and they might not want to infringe on their own market, but it it could do kind of well. Yeah, and certainly people who are devout to Ford would consider it. But yeah, their Ford F-150 stats are, I think they're golden crown, more or less. 
They but, don't have a ranger today, though. It would be it would be sort of ranger sized. I think they stopped the ranger in the U.S. and the Maverick is even smaller. Maverick is smaller, yeah. I yeah. bet they're gonna do one. It's gonna slot right in the middle there. It could. That would be interesting. Um, I saw a ranger and I sent a picture of to you and and Ross. Uh, I think it was a week or two ago of a ranger lifted with big knobby tires and it actually looked rather good. I, it was the first time I ever saw any modified Ranger like that. I do remember you sending that and I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that you saw that because I thought that model, I thought they weren't even making the Ranger here in that generation, but yeah, it does look pretty good. It's got a big tire on it. Yeah, and that's, you know, sitting on the street in Brooklyn. You're gonna have to put that on the Instagram post. We'll, we'll have to, I guess now. I'll have to. It's my week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking about the prices of, of the Bronco, at, you know, now at 45 and this and that. Why wouldn't you choose for 10 grand more to get a Defender 90? You know, would, do you think that is a lot more car for the money for just that extra 10K or um, or is that car or is it not much car that you're getting for the extra 10K and it's just you're paying for the name of, you know, having a Defender? It would be really interesting to find that out. I think first and foremost, you're getting such a different experience in the Defender versus the Wrangler, Gladiator, Bronco type car because you can't have a stick, right? Yeah. So for me, I think shifting these bigger SUVs and trucks is a neat experience on its own. It's different than shifting a car. You kind of don't rush the gears as much, but there's something fun about that. Um, so being without that, I think you'd maybe instantly temper the fun a bit. But I wonder if they do feel that much more sophisticated down the road that you get some of the fun and enjoyment of these, you know, punky little SUVs while having something that you would be comfortable to have that four or five hour drive on. You know, we were looking at the options for the Defender 90 uh, before the call. And I saw that they have this, you know, foldable or or rollback mm-hmm. canvas top option on the Defender 90, sort of like a, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, on the E36 um, TI Compact. Yeah. Oh, they called it a Cali top. Yeah, it was right. California top on um, yeah. that car. And then this sort, of, it's not a full convertible, but just a slide back thing. They also have it on the 500. I remember years ago, you looked at one of those 500 C's in Abarth. You were interested in mm-hmm. one of those yep. similar type of top. Maybe that's also really loud. You know, I would need to drive one. Yeah, but, I'd be curious about how uh, how good the sound deadening is on that. Or is it, it probably just feels like you're driving in a, an old convertible kind of a thing. It would be interesting to tell. Well, what, what do you think? Do you do you think that the Defender has the cool factor of these cars, the Bronco, Wrangler, Gladiator? Or do you think it's more mainstream? I, I think it can. Um, my stipulation is that most that I see on the road are not spec'd where they, they are tasteful or interesting in the same vein that I find uh, a Bronco to be tasteful and interesting. You know, it doesn't... I feel like most models take away the utilitarianness and they put in the commercial grocery getter kind of vibe that a lot of the other Range Rovers and, and larger 
Land Rover products kind of have, and that's what's popular these days. But it's nice to know that you have that option. And whenever I see a new Defender that has the the steel wheels, um, I, I just drool over it. it. It is a quintessential, you know, uh, aesthetic that uh, that I think the Defender kind of holds the reigning crown over the Bronco and and the Wranglers on this kind of glorified utilitarianness. Um, so when I see something that looks like, yeah, it might go off road or it looks a little simpler and, and, and not as um, luxurious or posh or, or, you know, has a lot of icing on it, more or less, you know, to say uh, it's a simpler, leaner slice of cake. And it, it just it, oftentimes for me, I find that to be more tasteful. I totally agree. 90% of the defenders, or maybe if not all of them that I see these days, are sort of grocery getter spec. Mm-hmm. And that dilutes the effect of seeing them as interesting. Whereas whenever I see a Bronco, a Wrangler, Gladiator, they tend to just be a little bit more, I used the word punky before, and I kind of stick with that. They're they're off, they're a little off, you know, off the norm. They, and 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 I like that about them. Uh, but as you say, if you spec your defender correctly, it can have that. We learned, interestingly enough, the the most basic defender for me. This is unfortunate. Is actually the four door. You can't even get the two door today with the cloth. Um, and I I'm wonder why they chose that. Seems like an interesting you know, decision to me. Maybe they decided that people thought of the 90, I don't know, as the one to have and, and the folks who would buy one. Special, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. so yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I certainly think that the, uh, it is more special uh, in a certain way because it's not, it's outside of the norm of what you would expect, especially from Land Rover. And they did, I believe they introduced the, the larger four-door one first before the two-door. Yeah, the 110. Um, I haven't seen a, a new 130 on the road, have you? I haven't either. I, I suspect that it's not going to look so good. I expect it's going to not. amplify the grocery getter effect. <laughs> right. And and I don't even think if that was, if you can even spec that one to any sense of a simplified utilitarianness, I don't think it would look so good on on that long of a wheelbase. No, probably not. You know, uh, in summary, Stephen, mm-hmm. for your 50 grand, more or less, what would you take? A highly specced Gladiator or, you know, Tudor Wrangler? You could definitely get Rubicon or Mojave trim. A more basic um, Bronco, two or four door, but probably, you know, base or Big Bend, the, the trim level above base. Or a bone stock base uh with steel wheels defender uh my go-to is probably a base bronco of some sense maybe i would consider for the coin because it will cost you extra coin to get one of the more specialized editions of the bronco um certainly if i lived somewhere where there was good off-roading um and i would use or want that functionality i would choose it if i just lived near the beach the base one would probably i think make the most sense to me 
Um, but honestly, I would say a base defender 90 would is a close second. It would be a hard thing for me to consider one versus the other. I'd have to drive them, certainly, but uh, I don't discount the the uh, probably the lack of options you get in the defender to start with, um, you know, versus a, a more highly specced uh, Bronco. Well, the interesting thing is I actually don't think that you can get such a highly specced Bronco for 50 grand. Mm. You know, the base one's going for 45, right? So uh, a highly specced one's probably in the 60s and above. I, I actually would guess that spec for spec, you're probably paying similarly for Broncos and Defenders right now. And, and I think probably the driving experience is not, it's certainly still as utilitarian from the lower level base Bronco to the upper level. I don't think the driving experience changes so much. Whereas I feel like the Defender, you probably get what you feel like you should get for that coin. Well, they do have, I don't know if you had a look when you were going through the Defenders that are available, you could spend pretty much $100,000 on a Defender 90 with the V8. Yeah. Which I'm sure is crazy. You know, it's got like 500 horsepower. You could rip all four wheels if you wanted. But do you need that? You know, the four cylinder is probably plenty. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it is. It's they have to have it as an option for their their buyers because people will buy it and they will spec it that way. So if they can sell it and they can earn the money on it, they will. Well, I think a a takeaway for me on this is uh, I don't need to answer the question of what I do because I already have the Gladiator. So that's obvious. Obviously, where I'd spend my money. But uh, I think if if Karen wanted me to get into an automatic, I would definitely consider the uh, the Defender. Um, but, uh, the takeaway here is I think that you and I actually have to go drive some defenders, be interesting to add into the mix and, and get some comparison. I'll, I'll do some homework to try and get that done because I know we can't count on you for that. <laughs> <laughs> driven that model three yet. Yeah, I know. I'll have to do some scouring on Turo to, to, to find, uh, our ideal defender to drive. Maybe we'll get them to sponsor us at minimum a couple of free days so we can keep talking about it. That's right. Yeah. Make it easier for us to to take some out and talk more about it. Right. Well, listen, guys, uh, uh, thanks for joining us today on The Autoholic. You know, we're going to be posting more and more here from us every week, you know, on here on the podcast. And uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram, the.autoholic. Steven, it was a pleasure speaking with you as always. Maybe we'll get our buddy Ross on again next time. Yeah, or some other guests, maybe. But definitely enjoy our conversations, you know, just the two of us as well. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.